Welcome back to another installment of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. I'm your host, Aaron Gemmel. Back with me is Megan Youngblood and Sean Chase. Guys, welcome back. How was your weekend? Good weekend. Lots of stuff happened in the world of sports. I'm excited to talk about it. Yeah, I'm just, I'm still, it's still raining. Well, I've never seen it still rain before, but, because mm-hmm. um, that would be picture worthy, but I'm just sick of this weather. I'm so tired of this weather. It's it's ridiculous. I'm just we're in the middle of October. We're getting close to the middle of October, which means good football coming up. But also the weather is not going to be really co- cooperating with us. So diving in here, week four of the NFL, an interesting week. Um, probably the biggest headline is Sunday night football, which we'll get to in a moment. But talking about the earlier games uh, in the week. The Jets were actually really surprising on Sunday, on Sunday, beating the Tennessee Titans 27-24 to in overtime. First of all, having Derrick Henry on my fantasy roster, you know, him having 25 points, that was always a plus. But, you know, that was just a poorly called game by Tennessee. That was horrible. That was horrible. I mean, for the past three years, Mike Vrabel, the head coach of the Titans, has kept, they keep Derrick Henry out on third down and, like, short. The guy's about six. Well, I can exaggerate and say the guy's about seven feet tall, but he's like six four. As a running back, you give it to him on third and two. As soon as they take him out, I know what they're doing every single time. They're throwing it, and you had Julio Jones and AJ Brown out, and you still wanted to throw on like thirty two, thirty three, all that stuff. You deserve to lose that type of game, and. You know, Randy Bullock missing from 48 or 47 yards in overtime. Well, congratulations. Zach Wilson got his first win as a pro. The 12-year-old got his first win as a pro. <laughs> um, so, the Lions, of course, 0-4 now. Yeah. Losing by 10 to the Bears. Justin Fields' first start. He gets his first win. Kind of familiar. Him being from Ohio and playing at Ohio State gets his first win over a Michigan team. So, doesn't really – so, it's kind of almost normal for Justin Fields – so, what are you guys' takeaways from that Bears-Lions game yesterday? Somehow, after looking like a dumpster fire, the Bears look like a world beater because of the Lions. I'm sick of hearing, we're getting back to the cardiac cats, kind of, if you guys know what I'm talking about with that. We're like, mm-hmm. we're coming back in the fourth quarter. Oh, we're looking good. Bull crap. It took, the first half, we didn't do anything. Goff threw two TDs late, had some yards late. I'm over it. Like I said last week, I want him gone. I can only preach that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You preached to the choir on that last week. Um, so, Megan, your your thoughts? I mean, we just it just looked incomplete. The whole well, considering about all the incomplete passes golf through yesterday, <laughs> yesterday, the entire team looked incomplete. Yeah, I don't think that. I definitely don't think they were on the same page at some points. I mean, that snap where it hit off golf's pelvis or chest or whatever you, and it literally went to the Bears' hands. That was just. I don't know what was going on with the Lions, but I turned it off after that and turned it back on just to see how bad it was, and it was just it was just embarrassing, honestly, which, I mean, isn't surprising with the Lions anymore. No, it's not surprising anymore. It's just I don't know where we're going to go from here because we have a lot of um, tough opponents coming up on our schedule. I mean, next week, uh, on my 21st birthday, they're at the – Minnesota Vikings, which is, you know, coming from a 14-7 loss against Cleveland. You know, Minnesota still looked good, in my opinion. They looked really good against Seattle a week ago. 
uh, you know, beating the Seahawks at home. So this will be Minnesota's third home game in a row. So I think, I think Minnesota will come out on top as usual. So I really, so my first question is, is are the Lions serious contenders to go zero and seventeen this year? We're going at least zero and eight. We will not win a game until week nine. I looked at the schedule last night trying to prep for this, and it's like, yeah, it's a tough road ahead. And week nine they have, let's see here, week nine. I think it's the Bengals. Now, the Bengals are not a team to take lightly. Are we? True, but that's like the first team I can see. Hey, maybe we can sneak them. Dan Campbell's defense could be good for a whole game once. Yeah, I mean, the Lions schedule looking ahead, you know, I, on Halloween they have Philadelphia at home. Week ten, uh, week 9 they're on the bye, and then week 10 they come out to Heinz Field to play the Steelers. Oh, yeah, then after that, then they have then they're at Cleveland, not easy. The Bears at home on Thanksgiving, I mean, that takes us to the end of November. The week 17, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> So that wouldn't it be historic? It'd be the first team to go zero and seventeen in the first year of seven, of a seventeen game season. So that would be interesting. Of course, it'd be the Lions though to do that. I mean, of course, I thought it would be the Jets for a long time, but hey, look at that! Look what happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Washington ended up ended up coming back, being Atlanta. Atlanta blew another lead. What's new? So uh, Washington is now two and two on the year, hanging around there with the Cowboys of the NFC East. Giants picked up a win in the in the now Caesars Superdome, formerly known as the Mercedes Benz Superdome, uh, in overtime against New Orleans. Buffalo shut out Houston yesterday, forty to nothing, in a torrential downpour in Buffalo. So <laughs> uh, Kansas City looked really, really good against Philly. Yes, you're, you're not. You're not. You're liking that. Yeah, Tyreek Hill's on both my fantasy teams. We put up over 50 points. Like, <laughs> it's good to see Patrick Mahomes throwing the ball different types of ways. Normally, when you see a quarterback throwing sidearm, you're like, oh, he's not that good. He threw a pass underhand pretty much yesterday. Yeah, of course. Ever he throws the one underhand pass, and that's all the internet is just talking about. It was beautiful, though. It, it was. <laughs> it was a beautiful pass, but he threw an underhand. You know, anyone could throw an underhand pass for four yards. That's basically if you could. If he threw it for thirty yards, that would have been really impressive. But valid point. I will give you that as a valid point. So you're mentioning the cardiac cardiac cats and the lions coming back, and one of those former. Uh, Cardiac Cats was Matt Stafford, and his Rams got absolutely destroyed by the Cardinals. Did not see it coming. Thirty-seven to twenty. They Rams just didn't look good yet. They didn't look good at all. They just, you know, they weren't flowing. I mean, and plus they got to make a quick turnaround because they're playing Thursday night. Uh, this upcoming week they're at Seattle, so that's definitely not an easy. That's not an easy quick turnaround. You lose, you lose by seventeen, and then you got to turn around in a couple days to go to Seattle. Not easy at all. I'm playing magician. Russell Wilson looked like a man possessed Sunday. He was making passes that I had no clue he could make. It was impressive. Yeah, he was making incredible throws um, at, with the victory over the Niners um, 28-21 in Santa Clara. So then Green Bay, Pittsburgh, you know, first time Roethlisberger and Aaron Rodgers have met in 10 years, which if you back backtrack all the way up, that is super – all the way back to the Super Bowl where they met. And Rodgers got the better end of that deal, 27-17. to And my Denver Broncos fell to the Baltimore Ravens, 23-7, to with Teddy Bridgewater in now COVID protocol, or not COVID protocol, concussion protocol. 
So, not really thrilled with Drew Locke in there now. <laughs> I'm actually really disappointed because we were really clicking with Teddy Bridgewater. Uh, we held our own for a while against Baltimore, but Baltimore's a really good team. So, it's just I just really want to see how good Denver is going to do next week when they go to Heinz Field to play Pittsburgh. And you guys kind of ran into Marquise Brown, where after yeah. three drops, he was on one as well. That diving catch in the end zone, he made up for everything the, the Ravens fans were saying about him. So, last week we had our, you know, when you hear the term GOAT, who do you think of? And I said, Tom Brady. Well... That was the headline probably since the schedule came out in April uh, that his Buccaneers would be going to New England in primetime on Sunday Night Football. And seeing Brady return as a visitor where he won for so many years, six Super Bowls, all those division championships, records, yada, yada, yada. I could go on for an hour. That would be the whole show on how many records Brady has. (laughs) Um, and but there was one record that he did not have that he was going into to chase, and he broke it. He passed Drew Brees for the most passing yards in NFL history with over eighty thousand and three hundred. So, and with Drew Brees in attendance for Sunday Night Football, doing his um, anal- analytic work, uh, and the Buccaneers come away nineteen and seventeen in another torrential downpour that was basically hitting the Northeast up there. So, what were your guys' thoughts of just seeing, you know, the pregame and Brady coming out and listening to fans at Gillette and, you know, cheering and then booing them when, they, when he came out for the first drive and stuff like that? You know, Megan, what did you think first? Um, I thought it was a lot closer than it was going to be. I mean, you think Brady, you think he's just going to – I thought for sure he'd, like, have the mindset to, like, try and blow him out. I mean, granted, you know, you can't just do that. But um, I think Brady looked good, but – I don't. Really, I I didn't watch a lot of it. I just watched parts of it just to see Brady at home and see how well he did. But I gotta imagine it's weird being back there and like not being on the same sideline as Belichick and all of them. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, I can. Yeah, that's the same way it was when all those years ago when Peyton Manning went back to Indy as a Bronco and stuff like that. That's just it probably felt weird for him and. You know, it probably felt weird for Breeze when he was a Saint when when he started his career as a Charger, Brett Favre and. You know, being a Viking, going against the Packers, all you know, stuff like that. So, Sean, what did you, what did, you, what were your uh, initial thoughts when Brady was taking the field and all first that kind thing, of stuff? First thing I thought was there were there were a few boos. I thought that there wasn't going to be any after I talked to you guys. I really thought they were going to show him love. It wasn't like a large portion of the fans that were booing him, but there was a smattering of it. And then it was sad not to see Gronk on the field. I I really wanted to see him return to Foxborough as well. I feel like. To get a Brady Gronk connection to break that record would have been historic. But instead, it was Mike Evans who caught that pass. Yes, sir. Um, only, it was unfortunate that Antonio Brown did catch the next pass after he <laughs> broke the record. I'm like, watching that, I'm like, oh, I wanted Antonio Brown to catch that. Because, in a way, it was kind of a mini, 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 mini reunion for Antonio Brown because he True. did play, a, play <laughs> one game as a Patriot um, a couple seasons ago. But looking back at it, Brady just he handled um, winning that with class. If you watched his post game interview, he just was a class act, a class act, hundred percent. Just the way that he just talked and stuff like that. I mean, just 
they had a, almost a single file line of guys of like a former former staff and players and all like just coming up just you know shaking Brady's hand giving a talk to him. it was poor guy poor Tom seemed like he could never get to his interview and out of that <laughs> thunder and out of that storm because everyone just kept wanting to come up and just say like oh you know good good game we miss you and all that kind of stuff but you know it it was definitely a good game. Mac Jones actually looked really good. He looked really yeah, good. I thought that, yeah, I thought that too. He looked really good. Uh, passing game for New England actually looked really strong. I, I, the fans of uh, New England have to be thinking, okay, just give it a couple, just give give it time. Mac Jones is going to be potentially our future. You know, Cam Newton was a little bump in between the transition of Brady and stuff like that. So. Yeah, so I think Mac Jones could really be a top a top ten quarterback in the next two or three years. I really think so. I think you just gotta get a little comfortable and get used to it. Yeah, it depends on how long Bill stays around, stays stays uh sticks around with the Patriots as well, because if they go undergo a coaching change, maybe McDaniels will take over, the offensive coordinator will take over, or maybe they just go in a different direction. Who knows? Um just hope they don't do the route of Matt Patricia. That would be terrible. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that would be terrible. Uh, so that that is basically the biggest takeaways uh, for the NF the NFL this past week. The Bengals looked strong on Thursday. They looked yeah they looked weak. Yeah, I thought they were you know Jackson. I thought Jacksonville like we talked about last week was going to snap that uh, losing streak. I, th- I thought they were going to snap it against Cincinnati because my roommate is a big fan of the Bengals and he was going absolutely nuts just like just. A roller coaster throughout the game, but 24-21 Bengals come away with that win. They're hanging around there in the AFC North. Do they're, they're they're doing way better than I thought they would be doing. So now transitioning into college football, uh, Central Michigan, we really don't want to discuss. Um, <laughs> after that performance uh, against Miami, Ohio this past weekend, but other performances around the country were come kind of eye-opening, uh, especially number 18 Auburn going into LSU and beating the Tigers 24-19. to I know you've seen something before. Before we start, you really like this win. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and I'm not a fan of the SEC, but like I said about Russell Wilson, Bo Nix started the magician streak this weekend. Multiple times he should have been tackled. He's running 50 yards around the field before he launches it to, for a touchdown. I said I wanted DJ Uyungle. This may be bias on my part, but now I want Bo Nix in Detroit. Like, if you do that, we don't have a good offensive line. You need those skills coming into Detroit. You could save everything. Yeah. That, that was definitely an eye-opener. Another eye-opener was um, Cincinnati going into Notre Dame and beating the Fighting Irish 24-13. Uh, to I really okay. Real quick, a real quick take here: Is Cincinnati a college football playoff team right now, in this moment? Megan, we'll start with you. Do you think Do you think the Bearcats can get in? I don't know. I mean, I don't know much about football, and I Cincinnati is probably the team that I would know nothing about. So I'm gonna stick with I don't know on right. it. Fair enough. Fair <laughs> enough, Sean. My one takeaway from this game was: Is Cincinnati for real? And I feel like they are. They Notre, Notre Dame looked good last week. They mm-hmm. looked bad this week. And Cincinnati, the quarterback, I can't remember his name off the top of my head, going into the game, he said we're blowing them out. They handled Notre Dame, so I think they're the real deal. I 
I really think that they can, you know, depending on how they handle the rest of their schedule, they can really make a, a fighting shot for that four spot to get in. Um, it all depends, in my opinion, on how the Big Ten unfolds. True. The Big Ten and the SEC, because the SEC has a lot of contenders this year, um, or just, you know, besides your Bama and your Georgia, because Georgia's shut out Arkansas 37 nothing, and Bama rolled, no pun intended, they rolled. <laughs> Uh, over uh, over Old Miss, that they were 17th, 17th ranked in the country, forty two to twenty one. So and number eight Oregon goes down to Stanford, thirty one to twenty four in overtime. That was surprising because I said Oregon was a top four team. Now they're not. Now they're not going to be. A, now they're not a college football playoff contender anymore because they lost. So that one really threw me for a loop. And also Kentucky beating Florida. Okay, you think Kentucky? You think basketball immediately? Yeah. You don't even think yeah. that, and like it's like Kentucky has a football team. <laughs> um, you know, Florida has a football team for for a fact because that's all that Florida brags about, either them or Florida State, and then once an occasional UCF for then you know FIU or Florida Atlantic or you know those teams that they don't really care about. But Florida losing twenty to thirteen to Kentucky was an eye opener. It really was because Florida was just you know. So high on trying to get that New Year Six, yeah. New Year Six Bowl. They still probably could, depending on how they play the rest of the SEC. But in terms of them getting to the SEC championship, I don't think that's going to happen. Not at all. Like no, it doesn't. Penn State took care of business. Like I said, like I said, Penn State. Penn State's going to be one of those teams. They're number four now, number four in the country, and they shut out Indiana. Which Indiana is a good team. And it just proves my point of how good Penn State is. And Michigan State, they, uh, they, you know, the score doesn't reflect on how they actually played against Western Kentucky. They beat them 48-31. to They're now almost in the top 10 in the in, you know, right behind Michigan. It's interesting because, like I said, like I said before, Michigan State, it's going to challenge for that Big Ten spot, but Michigan went into Wisconsin, beat Wisconsin for the first time in Madison for the first time in over 20 years. Yes, sir. I, <laughs> so I'll throw it to you, Sean, because you are the you are the Michigan you're the Wolverine man. So what were your takeaways on this win against the Badgers? The first half was a grind. That's the way I'll put that. But then the second half came. McNamara came out and looked way better. The offense. I feel like they struggled to get the running game going as we talked about what are you going to do when that doesn't work. Okay, McNamara made sure that if that doesn't work, he can do what he needs to. Now, my other question, or the other thing that really stood out to me is J.J. McCarthy, he continues to come in, throw one pass, launch it for a touchdown. Like, we're going to have a quarterback controversy here real soon because Cade McNamara... I think so. It's going to be hard to, to fend off the Twitter people that are saying, hey, J.J. McCarthy, J.J. Yeah. McCarthy. So. Yeah, there's a there could be a quarterback controversy at Michigan. There could be a there's a quarterback controversy here at Central Michigan. Uh, it's not really the case for Michigan State. I mean, Peyton Thorne is their guy. He yeah. is absolutely dominating. Um, Walker is running the ball still like a madman. Uh, so and Michigan State special teams have proven to be that they are a threat scoring back in back to back games. They've had touchdowns on punt returns and kick returns. So I I really still believe that Michigan State is one of the be- is one of the best teams in the Big Ten East, despite what Ohio State did. You know they beat Rutgers, 
whoop de doo Yay. Hey, congratulations. You beat Rutgers. Uh, you know, and you have Maryland next week. Yay. Another Big Ten team that's not really a Big Ten team. Uh, then Michigan State, they're at Rutgers. Okay. Michigan kind of has a tough task at hand. They have Nebraska on the road in primetime, which I think Michigan should be able to take care of them, Sean. We should handle them. We should handle them. Our defense is our calling card right now. Daxon Hill has been going off, and he's going to continue to go off against Nebraska. So before we look at who Mich- um, the Max- the other Big Ten matchups and other great matchups across uh, college football next week, sitting here right now, buying or selling, Megan, with you, Buying or selling is Michigan or Michigan State, one of the two. Who is the top dog in the state of Michigan right now between the two? I would say Michigan State because, I mean, they've proved that they're a team to be and they're making their way up where Michigan was already, like, there. People already, like, expected this. And, like, Michigan – I don't know. I gotta go with Michigan State. I know Sean's shaking his head over here at me, <laughs> but I gotta go with Michigan State. I mean, Reed's looking good, Walker's looking good, and Thorne. It just seems like they're really connecting. Granted, I don't watch as much Michigan football, so I don't know how good that <laughs> their offense and defense is looking or whatever. But I gotta go Michigan State. So, so Sean, you're shaking your head in verbal dis in not in you know in visible disgust for you folks listening, and it's. He's shake he's shaking his head. So Sean, you obviously are the Michigan guy. Take you know, take us through what you're thinking. Now I'm I'm having a hard time picking here because I do think Michigan State's for real, and that scares me. October thirtieth when they face off. Yes. It's gonna be a brawl. It's gonna be a fist fight. Devil's night. But right night before Halloween. How fitting. Michigan's the best team in the state, even over the Lions. Well, that's not really saying much, hey, but hey, now you're just taking shots at me. <laughs> that's not really saying much, but you know, it's a close one for me. But Michigan State looks the more more complete because on, on all three phases, because Thorne's been looking great, Walker's been looking great in the run game. Thorne can Thorne can throw the ball. They have good receivers. Their defense is act. Their defensive line looks great. Their secondary, a little shaky, you know, but it, they're getting there. Their linebacking core looks good. Special teams are together. That's the part where Michigan is lacking is their special teams. So their defense is definitely there. They proved they proved on Saturday that they could stop Wisconsin's run, and they they could somewhat handle their passing attack. So it'll be interesting once we get deeper into Big Ten play on how good Michigan is going to be. So looking ahead, Week Six, the biggest game that jumps out to me. Number four, Penn State, at number three, Iowa. Oh, boy. Now, I said now th- this is a preview of the Big Ten title game right here. This is the at 4 o'clock Saturday, October 9th, in Des Moines, Iowa. This will be the – whoever wins this game, in my opinion, is going to just take the whole thing and eventually win the Big Ten championship in December. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I mean, it's – I think it's going to be a crazy game, definitely. This is definitely, yeah, so this is definitely one that jumps out to me. Like, a couple weeks ago, it wouldn't because, you know, we were still getting the feel of how good these teams were. Now we actually know how good Iowa and Penn State are. No, I completely agree. And I, I, I want to say that that's going to be a preview of the Big Ten title game, but I also want to see Michigan in there. So it's like, well, I think we- Penn State's rolling. 
in my if opinion. Michigan wants to get there, they have to get. Well, first of all, they have to get through Ohio State, which in the and since Jim Harbaugh's taken over, that has definitely not been the case. It looks more doable this year than ever. Again, Michigan fans say that every year, just like Lions fans say, <laughs> just like it's just like Lions fans saying we're going to the playoffs. They say we say that every single year, but it never happens. So, and then another game in the in the SEC, Georgia at Auburn, two versus eighteen at three thirty. So that. That one's interesting because if if Auburn can pull off that upset, they could be a potential threat to win to get to that SEC championship game, and potentially an Iron Bowl SEC championship game, which would be very interesting. Georgia wins that one; they could cement their cases. Like, okay, we took down the eighteen Auburn in our own conference on the road. You know, playing at Auburn not an easy task to do at all. Not easy to do, but if Georgia does. You know, good for you know. It adds to their playoff resume. It adds to their adds to their resume. Arkansas and Ole Miss will be will be an interesting one too at noon. That one that one will be in thirteen seventeen again. Two more SEC teams because it feels like because we obviously we obviously know the SEC is going to keep getting bigger with Oklahoma and Texas in the next coming years. But the SEC is so big and it's so rich with good teams that. I feel this is just a toss-up because you know these teams, you know they're not they're not going to be competing for the SEC championship game. We already know that, but to compete for like a New Year's Six bowl, a top a top bowl game, this one's really this one's really tough. This one's really tough. I just I just hope this one's gonna. I think this one's just gonna be high scoring because Arkansas has proven that they can high, they can you know put out the points, and so can Ole Miss. So, and then two like the two teams I just mentioned. That are joining the SEC in 2025, Oklahoma number six, Texas number 21. I really don't know about this one. <laughs> this seems like an old, like a Western, old, old, old-fashioned Western shootout. Sean, you're shaking your head like, hmm, I don't know. I would never bet on Texas. They just look too bad this season. Oklahoma, I think, is going to roll. I think Texas is a fraud, and I think they're going to get exposed big time when they finally move to the SEC. They're not. They don't. They can't compete with Texas A&M anymore, and that used to be their whipping horse or whipping post, whatever you want to call it. Like they beat up on Texas A&M, and now you're walking into the Thunderdome, and you're not ready. Yeah, I can. Yeah, I agree with that. And since we will not be here next week, looking ahead to Week Seven, it is Michigan State has Indiana, and Michigan's on a bye. So kind of a <laughs> kind of any, you know. Kind of an easy type of schedule, you know. Not really matchups that pop out. Maybe all depending on how Auburn does against Georgia and how Arkansas does against Ole Miss. Those two will play each other. Auburn at Arkansas. That could be an interesting one. Depending on how Texas does with Oklahoma, they host Oklahoma State, which they're number twelve at the moment. Which could you know, which could change in the next couple of, in the next week or so. So those will be interesting games as well. So now, transitioning out of football, we're, we, and we are changing the name of our hockey segment here because Megan's Mega Hockey Corner did not really stick <laughs> at, in a production meeting. We, did, we're, we were just thinking, nope, this does this not fit. So it is now, I'm throwing it to Megan, for now the first title segment of Young Bloods Hockey Corner. So Megan, what do you got for us? Because I know the preseason started, 
Red Wings yes. are looking good. I have false hope. <laughs> um, I have I have false hope because they're three and one. Yeah. So and see and CMU also started as well. So what you know? Yeah, CMU had their uh, home opener this weekend. They were home uh, for the first game Friday against uh, Davenport University, and it was my first game covering them. And it was I'll never forget it. Not just because it was my first game, but it was a great game. They won ten to one. Like Ooh. what a blow! But like even wow. though it was a blowout game. It wasn't like, oh, my God, they scored again. They scored again. It wasn't boring. There was physicality. Davenport was growing frustrated. And, I mean, who wouldn't when it's, like, 10 to 1? And it was yeah. it was just a great game to watch and, like, to be at. Even Mitch said it. He was like, it's it's nice to finally see wins. You know, he talked about how he did uh, a lot of games that didn't win, and it's nice that I get to report on wins. And uh, it was really cool to see the guys in action. I've been looking forward to this since Mitch put me on it. And to see them come out just – swinging like that i mean they scored 45 seconds in that set the tone for me for the game whoa that could set the tone for their entire season <laughs> literally yeah to be honest i mean that's just how how young is this roster young is this roster older or is it just a mixture it's a mixture of both i know that they picked up three new freshmen over the summer that like were highlighted it was owen campbell uh, okay. I think uh, Kosnick and I forget the and Isaac Gibbs and both of the Isaac Gibbs and Campbell scored a goal their first game putting their stamp on um, CMU's hockey. So that is not a reference to CMU's old uh, put your stamp on the world. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was good to see them. Even Coach Cataline said that it was good to see them put some points up and just show that what they've been working hard towards has paid off now. So. so who are they? So who are we? Uh, so you said they played two games, right? Yes, they were. Uh, they won again on Saturday, five to one, and they had a goal or five nothing. Sorry, and so their goalie got a shutout. The only thing that was changed was their goalie. Coach Cadline had told me that when I asked him after his post game interview, that he was um, impressed with the way the boys played. Obviously, with a ten to one win, there's not much negative you can take from that. But I I heard it was still pretty chippy of a game. You know, there was. In the first game, there was a lot of penalties, a lot of uh, chirps being thrown back and forth, and you could definitely hear some of them. I'm not going to repeat them on air. Aaron just told us to watch our language. <laughs> so, as you could, as you're probably listening, you could probably imagine what those what those um, you know memories are from hockey players. So, looking, you know, looking ahead, you know, who does who do the chips have next, and um, you know, what do you just Based off these first two games, only giving up one goal and you know basically outscoring your first two opponents fifteen to one. That's yeah. insane in hockey. You know it feels like you know almost like a basketball or not a basketball a baseball type of number. Uh, so what are your you know how do you, how good do you think this Chips team is going to be? Um, I think it's going to be pretty good. I mean their chemistry is what I think sets them apart maybe from other teams granted I haven't looked into any other teams that they're playing quite yet to see how they did over the weekend but just you can tell by the way they play that they're good and you know like they know where they're supposed to be and when they're supposed to be there and even if there's a missed pass or a missed puck someone's there to pick it up it's almost like they know exactly where the puck is going and who is going to be where and that to me is what is going to put take them far and that's what they need because if you don't have chemistry you're not on any sport, you're not going to have a good no, outcome. Yeah, no, that's that's you know, that I agree with that 100. percent Yeah, that's just um, just for example, Lions. It feels like they don't have chemistry at all. Nope. You know, nothing, nothing, <laughs> you know, nothing's nothing's clicking. And 
But then you look at the Buccaneers and Tampa Bay, their chemistry is, you know, almost absolutely perfect on all aspects of that ball. So preseason started. Yes. I know you are. I know you are very, very (laughs) excited. You know, I have false hope for the Red Wings. They're three and one. I'm just like, oh, we could do something. But also these games don't count. Right. So, looking at the looking at the wings, just based off what they've done so far this preseason, what are your you know what are your thoughts like you know can the can this you know is this going to translate over to the regular season? Is this false? Is it's just false hope? Just you know just wins in the preseason and you know then it'll just be a losing season. What do you? I think it. I think it'll give us hope. I mean. I think it'll, like, start off the season. They'll be, like, excited, all hype that, you know, they're getting these wins. And we need that, especially with Jacob Verana. Found out he's having shoulder surgery and going to be out for a couple months. Who I know a lot of Wings fans were looking forward to him after we picked him up last year. And uh, it was hard to see that. Uh, A couple of my friends and I were talking about it. And one of them literally, like, almost cried because he was so sad about it. And we needed something. Dedication. (laughs) Yeah, we needed something to kind of give us more hope and we with Raymond coming out and I scoring two goals in a preseason game which yeah it's preseason you know not all stars are playing but seeing Raymond come out for I think his first maybe preseason start he looked pretty good and I mean Larkin he scored two goals in his uh, preseason debut a couple days ago he's showing giving us a little bit of hope and I think that's what we need with uh Verana being out you know we need that hope and I think we'll get it for the first few games and then it might die off depending on how well the first few games go but yeah I I would say false hope yes but also it's Detroit what like you you have to have hope you also have to be real all that hope building up just for a whole regular season of nothing but disappointment just it happens in every every sport that Detroit every team that Detroit has um, Lions, Tigers, Pistons, Red Wings. Yep, <laughs> that happens all the time. So looking around the rest of the league, looking around the rest of the league, you know who's standing out to you in the preseason so far, and who's look looking in your eyes saying like, "Wow, they are really not doing good." Um, thinking like, okay, they need to turn it around. Something's got to happen quick before the start of the regular season. Uh, Buffalo, obviously, they. Well, yeah, that's, that's kind of a just given. not not that the way they play. It's just with um, Eichel, the whole situation's getting worse. And but uh, it's hard to tell. I haven't looked that well into preseason quite yet. Hold on. So looking into the pre preseason, the Wings got about they got four games left until. The world champion, the back-to-back champion, and the team that Steve Eiserman put together. So his two babies, if you will, are Literally. playing in one game. Uh, Lightning are coming in, going into LCA Thursday, October fourteenth, to start up to for the uh, for the puck dropping for the season. So I know there's before more preseason games left. But looking at it right now, do you think the Wings can hang with the Lightning on opening night, or do you think the Lightning are just going to come out just bolting? <laughs> nice reference. I think I think it'll be a tough game. It'll be they're a, 
Lightning is a tough opponent, no doubt about it. But, yeah, I don't think it's going to go very well. I mean, Tampa's got older players. Like, I don't mean that in a bad way. They got good players. Experience. Experience. Experienced veterans on their team. Yeah, and the Red Wings right now are prospects, and we're young. And that is good because, you know, you got speed. You might got some new skill. But with Tampa, they're just a powerhouse. I mean, Vasilevsky, between the pipes, that's hard. He's probably one of the best players in the league right now. It's yep. hard to get past him. And mm-hmm. that's, I think, going to be the hardest thing is to get goals past him. And keeping Kucherov off the board, Stamkos off the board, Braden Point off the board, that's going to be a tough challenge for the Red Wings. Yeah, and we saw how tough Tampa's defense was, and more particularly, yeah, like you said, goalie-wise, in the Stanley Cup Finals, just, you know, Montreal could not do anything. It was no. so tough. <laughs> it was so tough. And then the then just to finish opening weekend, they have uh, the Canucks coming all the way over for Vancouver. So first time playing a Canadian team in almost yes. two, in two seasons. So that's going to be an interesting one to watch. I think it's going to be exciting because, it, like you said, it's been a year and a half since we've played any uh, Canadian teams. And it's exciting that it's the Canucks because, I mean, the Canucks are always a good team. They've gotten better throughout the years. They just signed uh, Quinn Hughes for six more years, who is probably one of their best defensemen right now. And, I mean, he's doing better than Jack, so no offense to Jack Hughes. So in the Wings' first ten games, they have, you know, obviously they have the they have the Lightning in their first game. Um, other teams like the Blue Jackets – Blackhawks, which I absolutely I love when those when the wings I love, and black uh, yeah that's when the wings origin, and, one of the original six matchups and that's always one of my favorites. Right those there. are always one of my favorites as well to watch. Um, but the wings they have five Canadian teams in their first ten games. Interesting. It's very it's interesting, and they're they have the Canadians twice, both in Montreal, and. They have the they have the Canucks and the Flames at home, and they have the like I said the Canadians twice in Montreal, and and the Maple Leafs on the road as well, um, on the same night as Michigan is playing Michigan State in football. So I really don't think anyone's going to be watching that game. So <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so um, but it looks it looks promising. The it's a tough schedule to start off with. Right, yeah. Especially for the Wings to start off with, you know, defending champions, that's not easy. Yeah, no, that's... that's... But somehow I had, I had a feeling that Steve Eiserman had a somewhat, you know, talking to the league, like, I want I want, the, I want the Lightning, I want the world champs to play the, yeah. what, my team in, you know, the opener. He definitely wants to try and prove himself by doing that, and I think he's done a great job so far, and there's no doubt that he's going to take this team where they need to be. I mean, I have full confidence in him. I mean, he did it in Tampa. He can do it here. So, And I will never stop saying that. We said last week that he will have all chances. Yeah. Not, yeah, yeah, he will. So that will so that concludes Youngblood's Hockey Corner. That's God, I, I just still can't get over that name. <laughs> and no, we're not referencing Jack Youngblood, who used to play for the Los Angeles Rams. No, this is Megan Youngblood's Hockey Corner. So now we're going to throw it to Sean and introduce... His new his new NBA segment, because you know NBA were a little bit away from tip off, but there's still some headlines and stuff merging around in the NBA. So Sean, take it away. All right, the Pistons will start the preseason on October 6th against the Spurs. 
Yes, that. that is my team. Spurs are my team. <laughs> they have been my team since I was seven years old, and I, you know, I started watching when they won their third world championship against Cleveland, and when they took care of LeBron for the first time, and so that was awesome. So, and that game is in Detroit or San Antonio. Oh, Detroit. They're coming to LCA. Of course they are. Um, great. So, not that it really matters because all the guys that I really liked on that Spurs team are gone. Uh, and Popovich needs to go. I think he's too... I, when his wife passed away um, a few seasons back, I think he should have just left it there. I can agree with that. You know, I really... I was hoping that Duncan would take over. But as t- time told time told us that it wasn't Duncan's thing to do, so now I'm really hoping that Becky Hammond takes over that team. She will, you know, she's been working for Pop for so long. She's proven that she's successful because she won a summer league championship with um, got you know a squad back all the way back like in 2015 or 16. But just her involvement with the players, um, with the young, the young. The young guys, uh, the rookies, the veterans that come in that they had, like with the uh, with the guys like DeRosa and Tony Parker at the end, uh, and Manu at the end, which Manu is back with the Spurs, which I'm so excited for because he uh, he's back in their front office. So I'm just I'm just hoping because I know Duncan is someone in their office. I'm not really sure, so I'm just hoping to just get Tony Parker back. And we got the whole band. We got the whole band back together. We got the big three back in the front office. We were we're taking the big three's taking over the Spurs. But um, looking at the Spurs, not really. I'm not really sure. Not really sure. It, that's just a huge question mark for for at this moment right now. Time will only tell. As far as the Pistons, I think we're going to be in for a rough year. But I do think Kate Cunningham is going to go. Crazy. I was I was I was going back to that. I was. Right, first thing when you said the Pistons, I'm like, I I really want to see how this Cunningham kid does. I really do because the you know the ESPN and all those other basketball sites have been building up on how good the young the Pistons young core is. So you throw in, it's kind of like throwing, throwing it all the way back to 04 with everybody. So what would happen if they threw Carmelo Anthony into that 2004? Crazy. 2000 2004 <laughs> Pistons team. Well, we got the young core now in 2021, throwing in Kate Cunningham as a rookie. Let's see what happens. True, they're definitely different players, but I like that comparison. To be honest with you, I think Kate, his handle is going to transcend the NBA. Not the same way as Iverson, who brought the crossover to the mainstream. Like yo, you can break everybody, <laughs> but his step back three is on the level of Harden. I might be a homer and or Curry. Bit. A little and bit. He's cur- not Curry yet. No, 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 no. He's he got to prove himself. He well, has he, to. He can shoot like Curry. I will give you that. At least in college. So let's just see how that transforms into the NBA. True. How if? So the deal with Ben Simmons in Philly. So you're shaking your head like eh, everyone. Everyone probably listens shaking their head like eh, no, 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 no. Yeah, Ben Simmons is a whole thing. The biggest thing is the headline for Ben Simmons is well they're not they're not paying him. And also, the biggest rumor is he might become a spur. I didn't hear that. He, they're, they're, they're saying the or the big or the the most logical fit for him would be the Spurs. I don't know. The Spurs have been known for the in the past twenty five to thirty years 
to take guys that no one's ever heard of because no one had ever heard of Manu Ginobili or Tony Parker before and look and look what the Spurs turned them into. I mean, they even took Kawhi Leonard and made him into the guy that he is today. And even all these other low guys, you know, Dan, the Danny Greens and, you know, the talking old school here, the Tiago Splitters and the Gary Neals and Matt Bo- even Matt Bonner, for crying out loud. Um, so... Making, but I don't know if it's too if it's too far past to correct what was going on with Ben Simmons. If there is one team and or one coach, I think that could do it. I really think in time, I think Becky Hammond could really help transform Ben Simmons. I really not into a three point phenomenon shooter, but into a better, well balanced point guard that could shoot from mid-range, can shoot his free throws, can get rebounds, and help space the floor. Especially with guys like DeRozan getting out of there. You still have the young core in DeJounte Murray, Derek White, uh, Keldon Johnson. That guy has been absolutely a monster the last couple of seasons. So I think if you throw Ben Simmons in there, you give it a little bit of time because the Manu Ginobili and Tim Duncan projects, they didn't, uh, you know, they didn't, you know, they didn't become NBA champions overnight. It yeah. took it took a process. So, you know, maybe from Ben Simmons going from trust the process from Philly to maybe a new different type of process. I don't know. That would be that would be an interesting thing to see. But I just and I would be scared on what the Spurs would have to give up. That's the only part that makes me nervous. After you laid it out, I think Becky Hammond could change how Ben Simmons plays because she's going to take a different angle. Everybody's taking the, oh, you're not dunking. Why aren't you dunking? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Like, Becky Ham is going to let him play basketball. The man can handle the ball. He can pass the ball, and he can play defense. Those are the three things you really need as a point guard. I don't care if you can let Barry from three like Steph Curry. Just be consistent. The Spurs need a consistent piece. Exa- I agree. Exactly. So, and other, you know, Clay Thompson's back, Golden State. He's healthy for the first time in two years, so the Splash Brothers are back again. Uh, different core. They still have, you know, they still have the trio of Curry, Thompson, and Draymond Green, a homeboy, obviously, from Michigan State. And, you know, they have the surrounding pieces with Wiggins and all this other, and all these other pieces. So, I, you know, where does Golden State stand right now? Like, do, do you think that, you know, are they, because they fell short in that play-in tournament last year. Yeah. Do you think that they can actually get in the playoffs? Sitting right here, you know, before the preseason even starts. Oh, I think they're going to be a four seed this year with Clay back because you can't just double team Steph. You have to spread out your defenders because if Steph is buried by two people, Clay's wide open. I think it'll also help Draymond come back, but they start out with the Lakers week one and that's or game one, and that's going to be rough. Them Lakers are going to be nasty. You mentioned the Lakers, and the Lakers, the Lakers and the Brooklyn Nets are probably the mo- the two teams that are getting the most attention. And in my opinion, the the Lakers are probably the most watched team in the league because not depriving of all of the talent that they have. It's just if the injury bug comes around and we've seen the injury bug come around in all sports and and hockey, and Maggie can agree, NFL yes. NFL I can agree with that. NBA you know the injury bug. If that comes around, it could really haunt a team for not even not only for maybe a couple of weeks, but maybe for a whole year. Like and, Kawhi Leonard. Exactly. 
the other LA team. And so with Westbrook, Dwight, LeBron, all the all those guys are over. They're all, they're around thirty five years old. That's you know that doesn't you know that doesn't jump out to me saying like, oh my gosh, they could you know they're gonna take the NBA so easy this year. Okay, if this was five years ago, this would have been absolutely terrifying to see. But looking at it now, I'm not really that afraid because, you know, have you know as throwing it back to my Spurs, the Spurs got older, people knew how to beat them. You know, the young, you know, Duncan didn't move that quick. Manu couldn't shoot that good. Parker wasn't consistent with his passing. The same could be said with Westbrook, LeBron, Dwight. You could, you could, bra- you could probably help me out with all the other old guys that they have on that team. But yeah, I don't really see the Lakers as a threat. Maybe I could see them may- maybe being a five seed or a six, looking at it right now, because I still think Phoenix is a scary team. True, I'll give you Phoenix. Phoenix is scary because Chris Paul, even though he's old, he still needs that ring, oh, yeah. and he still needs that championship ring. Because there is no stopping Devin Booker. No. There is no stopping Devin Booker. I was in a uh, meeting last night for Sports Central, and a colleague of mine said, you know, Devin Booker just dethroned LeBron's throne as a king right now in the league. And I, I heard that. I'm like, hmm, interesting take. And you know, more and more I keep thinking about it. Yeah, that's actually that's that actually sounds more logic. It's because Devin Booker had, was on a tear last year. He'll be on a tier this year, and Phoenix will get the number one seed in the West. You know, maybe, you know, the teams like Utah, yeah, they'll be there. They'll be hanging around. Teams like Memphis, they could be there as well. But looking at the East, it's like, okay, there's no question it's Brooklyn. No doubt. <laughs> it's Brooklyn's scary. Brooklyn's scary. They got Aldridge back after he was cleared by his by his doctors, which is good for him. Um you know, seeing him as a former Spur, I'm just like, uh, yeah, you did fit our system. You fit for a little bit, but towards the end, no. No, you didn't fit. So, Durant, Kyrie, there's the whole thing going on with Kyrie. Just going to say that Kyrie is losing money right now because he won't get vaccinated. Well, he's losing money. He's losing the ability to attend practices and even play in home games in New York. So I don't know how that's going to end up because that's just a tricky situation. And he's not the only one. No. He's not the only one. Bradley Beal's doing the same thing. Wiggins is doing the same thing. There's other guys. There's They said about 10% of the league is doing this right now out of all the players that they got. So it'll be interesting to see what they have going forward. Durant looked like... Oklahoma City Thunder Prime 2013 12 2012 13 Kevin Durant last year last year. Yes, so that's going to be scary to watch. Harden I don't know. I don't really know about Harden this year because kind of fell off the map a little bit last year because we're we were so used to him well, at the beginning he was just this little kid um, you know, with no, with no beard, no nothing, and, and with the thunder, with that trio, with Westbrook and Durant, goes to Houston, makes a, you know, and makes himself an icon, a basketball icon. Goes to Brooklyn, his name gets faded away a little bit, gets faded away a little bit. 
not as much as his fade, you know, his fadeaway jumpers have been producing the last couple of years, but his name's been fading away. So I really, I don't know. I really don't know what the expectations are, or if I have any, you know, you know, like Harden, you know, he better be producing this amount of points and this amount of assists. I really don't know, especially with the team that the Nets have. Well, that's a valid point too. It's hard to say who's going to score what each night because anybody can get it. But I think Harden's going to bounce back this year. I've been watching him on Instagram. He's in the lab. And the way he's cooking right now, if KD plays and Kyrie doesn't, because I don't like Kyrie, I think he is a detriment to the team. Nothing to do with his COVID stance, but just the way he leads. He destroyed Boston. He's going to do the same thing in Brooklyn when he doesn't get the ball. So we'll see what happens. Yeah. They could either be the best team in the East or the worst team in the East in my mind. Yeah, and he kind of destroyed Cleveland at the end too on his way out. Um, so it'll be it'll be a, it'll be an interesting take. So, so looking at it right, so looking at it right now, I'm going throwing it back to Detroit. Where do the Pistons sit in the East this year? Because the East doesn't really have a whole lot of talent, but there is there's way more talent in the West. No That's how it's been the last about 10 to 15 years. <laughs> That's how it's been with the Spurs, with the Lakers and Kobe, and, you know, Portland. Portland. Okay, real quick before we jump to Detroit. Portland, team that everyone forgets about most of the time. Damian Lillard, C.J. McCollum, Chauncey Billups is their new head coach. Yeah. Where do you see Portland ranking up against all, against all these West teams this year? They're going to make the playoffs, but they haven't added any significant pieces to help. Damian Lillard. Like, no. Dame time is always going to perform. He's always going to hit that 40-foot three that makes no sense how he buries it. I watched a video of him yesterday. hit five, six of them in a row. He's going to play well, but I and think Ma- we'll see really how Chauncey leads a, a true point guard. And McCollum, McCollum's lost his step a little bit yeah. from the last couple of years, and that's so that's going to be interesting. So back to the original point, going to Detroit, stacking w- with all the East teams, where do you think the Pistons stand before, before they tip off against my Spurs, where do you think they stand right now before preseason game one? I think they're going to end up the eight seed in the East. I think they're going to make the playoffs. You heard it here. Just barely get in. <laughs> it's happened twice today. It's happened on Maroon and Bold also. I made bold claims. but That Dave is bold. Cunningham <laughs> coming into the team. Jeremy Grant is incredible. Luka Garza, nobody's really talking about him. He dropped 50 pounds. He's thin. He's got moves in the post. We don't. We haven't had a big man like that in a long time. Nope. What we thought Darko Milicic was going to be, the yep. worst pick in Detroit history when we could have had Carmelo Anthony. Yeah. I think we can make the playoffs. We'll see, though. If Kate Cunningham, we haven't really seen him against the pros. We've seen him in the summer league. He looked good. I want to see how he's guarded by LeBron when he switches to the one. You know what I mean? Because then we're going to have a different game. It will be interesting to see how the Pistons do. I mean, the Pistons don't necessarily have have it easy when it comes to their schedule every year. I mean, it's it's the schedule is obviously back to a full 82 games, which is the which is good. You know, it's great for the NBA. It's great for revenue. It's great for fans. It's great for all that stuff. But for the Pistons' sake, I think it's better for them because they have more opportunities to show what they can do Definitely. with their roster. As opposed to, I think it was a 70-game season or something like that last year, uh, and then you know, we had the whole the whole bubble and everything else, and that was just okay. Um, so the whole that whole bubble should have an asterisk next to it. So, <laughs> yeah, looking at Detroit, 
it should be an interesting year. I, I, you know, I love the optimism. I love the bold take, but I really, I don't think it's there yet. I think come 2022, 2023, it will be there for them to get an eight seed. But for right now, I think they're going to be hovering around the 10th spot because Charlotte look, Charlotte looks like to be one of those teams that they could squeeze their way in there. And even though that they sold their entire estate and their farm last year, I think the Magic can actually do something as well. Because they have the young guys. They have Terrell Suggs that they drafted, which I was really happy and really... Jalen. Jalen? Yeah, he said Terrell. Terrell Suggs. Terrell Suggs. <laughs> nope, not... Nope. Play linebacker from the Raiders. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, Jalen Suggs. You're right, though. He's a monster. He's, he's going to help them out. He's yeah. going to help them out. Um, so I think I think the Magic can try and squeeze in and make 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 their case. And another team, I think that they're gonna definitely make the playoffs. I just don't know what. See, maybe a seven or a six is Chicago. The Bulls upgraded their roster a lot. They made some major changes. They went out and took and got Demar Derozan from the Spurs. They got Lonzo Ball from New Orleans. They got Vucevic from the Magic. They they traded a lot to get these guys in, but what the what the and they have Zach Levine still. So they got a they have a they have a four headed monster in Chicago. So not something Bulls fans haven't really seen since maybe the D Rose days or maybe even going all the way back to the MJ days with Jordan Pippen, uh, Rodman, and maybe throwing Steve Kerr. Um, so. Looking at the Bulls, I think, I think the uh, the uh, the Central in the East is going to be a an interesting division to watch. You got the reigning champ Bucks, you have the Bulls who upgraded, you have the Pistons who are really young, and you have the Pacers who are just there. Yep. They're there, but somehow they always find ways to win. You know, they're just a small, in my opinion, they're a small Midwest team that just shows up. They, but, you know, in their history, obviously, we've obviously seen that they haven't won anything yet. So it's going to be a very, very interesting season uh, come the NBA. So before that season begins, you know, we'll, have, we'll, we'll be talking more and more as that, you know, the tip-off gets closer. So before the NBA season starts, we're, we get to a, se- a sport that season is getting ready to close, and that would be Major League Baseball. So the playoffs are getting ready to start. And there's been lots and lots of headlines going around about the Dodgers and the Giants and the Yankees and the Red Sox and all these other teams. As we get ready for every baseball fan's dream is October. Playing in October. Winning the World Series at the end of October when it's really, really cold. uh, Depending on where you're at. If it's San Francisco, probably to them it's probably still cold as well. So, it's going to be interesting. Um, the Tigers, obviously, they closed out their uh, non-playoff season with a win against the White Sox in Chicago. So, before we jump into the teams that are successful in making the playoffs, <laughs> what are your guys' overall take on how the Tigers' season went? Looking back at the entire thing, I can start with Megan, we'll begin with you. What are your biggest take- takeaways, your positives, your negatives, your in-betweens, what we need to do, 
all that kind of stuff because we definitely improved from last season. Definitely, definitely. improved. I definitely think just the um, – we talked about it last week, Miguel Cabrera, what to do with him. He did better this year than he has in the past. I mean, he hit his 500 home runs milestone. He's close to hitting – I forget the number for, like, the most hits or whatever. Or, But I think that is what really the Tigers focused on this year, and that's what made the games interesting to go to or to watch is – and I think that's what the Tigers needed. They needed something to get the hope back. And, yeah, it was still a losing season. But, I mean, they had good runs for a while, but it just didn't stick. And I think that's what we need to figure out. What do we need to get to stick those wins? Because when we came back from the All-Star break, we, I believe we were on, like, a winning streak for a couple of games. And then we just lost it. And, I mean, that's that happens in baseball with any team. You're going to go on a winning streak and win, 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 and then you're going to lose. But for the Tigers, it seems like we win, 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 and then when we lose, we lose. And there's no there's no better upside to it. And I just think, yeah, we had an okay season. I mean, the biggest takeaway is Miguel Cabrera this season. Yep, 500. Yeah, he hit, he hit a milestone, and that's great. But we also need to look at his future and what we need to do with him. I mean, his days are getting numbered. Yes, he's As he's, he's chasing, hit number 3,000. Yeah, and that is probably and next to five hundred home runs, three thousand hits is the another ultimate goal in baseball history. So it, it'll be interesting to see what the Tigers staff does with him in the offseason, what he does. Yeah, I think they definitely want him to get to that three thousand hits, but it also his health is what needs to be on on point. He needs to be healthy for to get to those numbers. I think he can yes. do it, but it's yes. just. Sean, what are your takeaways from the Tigers this year? I think we saw a lot more promise than I expected going into the season. I've been looking forward to seeing Casey Mize, Tariq Spubel actually perform well. They did what I expected from them. There was a pitch count with Casey Mize, which some people didn't like. I also didn't like, so I really wanted to see him get the reins let free off him a little bit. But I was ex- I was happy to see Rec- or Robbie Grossman hit 23 home runs. I think Jonathan Scope had a good year. Overall, I was more impressed with the Tigers than I thought it'd be. I thought we were going to be a bottom feeder team this year. And yeah. No promise. So, looking at the wild card, this will by the when you when you're listening to all of you out there listening to this, these games would have been these games will be final. So, Red Sox and Yankees in the wild card. Hmm. I don't know. This is well. Obviously, it renews the rivalry. No questions there. I really just, I don't know, Boston's been one of those teams that's been up and down. New York was just on just on the cusp of making it, but they got in. They got in as the fifth as the fifth team in there. I really think, I think the Red Sox will take this one. I just, I'm personally, I'm not the biggest fan of the Yankees, but, you know, putting my bias aside, I just think Boston's just a better team. Just depending on if J.D. Martinez does play because he is listed as questionable, hopefully he does play and the Red Sox come out top. And they will play the number one seed and the ALCS champion the Tampa Bay Rays so why not we just mention it this should just be a Tampa Bay podcast to be honest <laughs> because all we talk about is just Tampa Bay we talk about the Lightning, we talk about the Bucks. so now we're talking about the light uh, about talking about the race so so what but before Tampa Bay gets their opponent is it either Boston or New, or New York that takes this I say Boston I mean, I don't like the Yankees, so I'm a little biased there. I don't think really. I, don't, I only think New York likes the Yankees, in my opinion. But I gotta go with Boston. I mean, I hope JD's healthy enough to play. He's questionable right now, but I think yeah, Boston. It should be a good game, nonetheless. Yeah, definitely. I mean, this is a type of these. This is the type of matchup that we kind of wish that it's kind of went a seven game series. 
But due to, due to the format, it's just one game. Which that actually adds to the pressure on both teams, I think, and that's going to hurt Definitely. The I think John Carlos Stanton, Aaron Judge, they're two hit or miss, and Boston in one game they're going to get it done. So, and then speaking, of, you said the pressure get to these te- get to those two teams, and the flipping to the other side, and the National League, St. Louis, L.A., one game. Again, a series I wish it was seven games. The way the Dodgers have been playing it this year has been so good, and yet the Giants still beat them and got the number one, and they took the division from them. But just the way that the Dodgers pitching staff is, even though Scherzer's injured right now, depending on what, uh, or not Scherzer, I think it's Clayshaw that's injured, one yeah. of the two. Yeah, Clayshaw's injured. Like I said before, you know, with them getting Scherzer, it helps. Because it's so it, it helps. It's like, okay, we can breathe a little bit. But St. Louis is a tough team. They've been tough teams in the past. But getting getting in here, I think it's just going to be a division series in the NLDS. Um, so it'll be the Giants, Dodgers. I agree I, with that. I like them. I, I just I like the Dodgers. Mm-hmm. So, and then going back, going down to the bottom, we have in the in the NLDS. This is just a regular series. There's no one-game knockout or anything like that. We have Milwaukee, the Milwaukee Brewers, against the Atlanta Braves. So, interesting, very interesting matchup because, you know, a couple of years ago we wouldn't even be thinking about these two teams being in the MLB postseason because just of how they've been rebuilding and stuff. And Atlanta, Atlanta has their history of, you know, blowing things in sports. Um <laughs> Because the Hawks haven't been good, and just ask Falcons fans this past week against Washington how that worked out. Um, so, I, I've, this is going to be a close. This is going to be a close series, um, but I think I think Milwaukee will get it done in six. I think Milwaukee will get it done in six. They'll uh, come up with clutch hits when they need to on the road in Atlanta. Playing Atlanta's no picnic, but I think um, I think the Brewers will get it done. I'm gonna go the other way, and I'm gonna pick. <laughs> Ooh, I'm side with Ronald Acuna and the Braves, I think. I feel like it's a toss-up series, to be honest with you. It can go either way. Christian Yelich could have a big game or a big series, or Ronald Acuna could have a big series, and it sways it either way. So I'm just going to be different and go Braves. Mm, tough. I think it's going to be interesting, definitely, because, I mean, they both rebuild, and they're both young, and they're both new, I guess, to the whole thing. And, it... and then you got the three teams, either San Francisco, San Francisco, and either LA or St. Louis. They've been there. Yeah, they know how to. Again, then they have, then you have these two young teams. Like, eh. it's gonna be hard. It's gonna be tough for either, no matter who wins, for them to get beyond and keep going. Because I mean, you're going against teams that have been here and they know what they're doing. And maybe that's the new thing that the young teams are coming up and they're gonna blow them out or show them up. Yeah, because that's what you're seeing in a lot of different leagues and everything. Different but sports, it just, yeah. It, I don't know. Yeah, you're seeing we're seeing it in hockey. We're seeing <laughs> yeah. it. We're seeing it in the NBA. We're seeing it in the NFL. So college college football is just constantly rotating all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then in the ALDS, the Houston Astros. Yes, we have, we all know the controversy with the Astros being in the playoffs and all that kind of stuff. Again, and they're playing against the Chicago White Sox. A team that just lost to Detroit in their last regular season game. (laughs) But they won the AL Central, which is a tough, tough tougher division to play in in professional baseball. 
So they win that division, and now they're playing the Houston Astros with a trip to the ALCS, either Tampa Bay, Boston, or New York. Um, time will tell on that. But Chicago, the White Sox, it'll be interesting because we haven't seen the White Sox in the playoffs in a long time. Yeah. It's been it's been quite some time. Houston, we're used to seeing, cheating or not, <laughs> we're used to seeing them. So I don't know. I you know it's kind of a toss up, but I really think that I think the White Sox could win pull this series out in maybe in seven games. I think that's the most logical thing. I think the White Sox could pull this out in seven. If not, it'd probably be Houston in either five or six. One of those. One of those two options for me. I'm going White Sox in seven. That's exactly what I think is going to happen. I think Chicago's starting to roll. Granted, they just lost to the Tigers, but the Tigers wanted to finish the season on a high note. <laughs> yeah, agreed. Yeah. <laughs> agreed. And Johan Mankato, or however you say his name, he is an animal with a bat. So I just I feel like the White Sox are going to make it happen. Yeah, I think White Sox, because, I mean, they've got that, I think, strive to do good and be better because they haven't been in the playoffs in so long, and they really they want it. I mean, granted, everybody wants it, every team, but I think that'll really set the tone for them that, like, we got to show that we belong here. You know, we just lost to the Tigers. We need to show something that, you know, we're not just – we're not mediocre, that we can beat the Astros. And I think if they do beat the Astros – it'll allow them to be taken a little serious because, I mean, the Astros, cheating or not, are a good team. And <laughs> they they keep proving that they can make it. Yes, maybe they cheated their way. But still, if you beat the Astros, that says something about your organization. Yeah, no, I, I, agree, I agree with that. I agree with that 100%. I think Houston would be more of a threat if Verlander was healthy. Yeah. I really do. I really do. Um, if Verlander was playing because he's been out the whole year because he had Tommy John surgery done. Um so it's yeah that that that's definitely an interesting take. So before we say goodbye to, for two weeks, the question question this question of the week is: We did you know we had uh, last week was you think of the term goat and who do you think of in all sports? Now when now this question is who is when when you say Michigan State. Athletics, just Michigan State sports in the history of Michigan State. Who is the and the greatest players that have ever played for the university? Who is the you say Michigan State and you immediately think this one athlete? Who is it, and why? I don't know, because there's a lot. Like My brain kind of just went numb a little bit there when you said that. That's hard. It's, it's, I mean, my brain goes, when I think Michigan State players, I think Kirk Cousins, I think all these other players, but I, I don't think I can pick just one, honestly. I'm going to let Sean. I don't know how I miss Kirk Cousins in my brain. <laughs> to be real with you, it didn't even pop up. I thought of Rocky Lombardi and Draymond Green. Lombardi because the last name is Fire. I could have been born with Lombardi. And I, you mean the Rocky Lombardi that's now a quarterback for Northern Illinois? Back hey, Rocky Lombardi? <laughs> that's the same person, but still, and then Draymond, just because Draymond was... Because Draymond, reflect, reflect, he helped reflect the Michigan State culture in winning ways. He did. He did. He helped just in just the multiple tournament appearances, Big Ten, stuff like that. For me, it's magic. Yeah, yeah, I didn't think that one either. Oh my oh, god! Skip right over. Right. <laughs> it's magic, magic because magic not only defined what Michigan State basketball was, 
you know, and establish what was to become in the future. But the way that Magic played was just, it caught the NBA's eyes so much that when he went pro the ne- he, next year and was drafted by the Lakers, it, w- it immediately began the showtime because it was Magic. It was a magic, magic. You know, Irvin Johnson was such a is such a magical player to play for State and to beat Indiana State in the 1979 NCAA final against a <laughs> his ultimate competitor in that decade, Larry Bird, was just a awesome thing. Just you know, just to look for me to look back on and just see the highlights and say like, this is the speed that Magic played at the end of the 70s, beginning of the 80s. And look what happened to, to basketball once he got to the professional level. You know, Magic stands out to me as one of the greatest ones um, for Michigan State history. And that's just, that's who I think of. When I think, when I think Michigan State, I think of Magic. And the closest, a very, very, very close second, I think, um, these guys are uh, these guys are tied in my opinion. It's either Connor Cook or Justin Abdicator. I agree with the Justin. That one came to my mind too. And I mean, he's. I think it's just the whole like Michigan. He's a Michigan person. He's from Michigan. I think that's like we talked about last week with Larkin. He's yeah. the Mich- he's the Michigan hometown kid. Exactly. Abdicator was the hometown hometown Michigan State kid. Yeah. So Applicator's definitely up there for me too, I would say, just being a, a hockey fan as well. Because Connor Cook, when he was at state yeah, you know, it's, it was kind of cool to say, you know, we had Kirk Cousins and then we had Connor Cook. Um and now we have Peyton Thorne. <laughs> um so and in between Cousins and Cook it was Andrew Maxwell. Yeesh. Um but you look at what Connor Cook did, obviously with the entire team that was built around him. Like you have the Benny, you have Benny Fowler's, Aaron Burbridge, Jeremy Langford, um, all those guys. I could name the entire roster if I wanted to on <laughs> offense and defense. You know, defense with Darian Harris, uh, Ty- Taiwan Jones, Darquez Denard. You know, all those all those guys. Special teams with you know Mike with Mike Sadler uh, and um, Greg uh, with Dan Elroy, and you know, kicking and all that kind of stuff. Um, I'm trying to think of they're trying to think of uh, Mike, Michael Geiger. Yes, because I remember him doing like 38 or like 100 windmills after that kick against Ohio <laughs> State. Um, so but Connor Cook just reestablished. You know his pro career is a totally different story on what happened to him after Michigan State. But you look at Michigan, his Michigan State career as a whole, it's just extraordinary of what he did. Two Big Ten title games. A Rose Bowl championship, a Cotton Bowl championship, just game and just the fashion that Michigan State won that Rose Bowl in. They won that Cotton Bowl in with Cook, um, Pat with that t- late, late, late touchdown pass in that Cotton Bowl to win it. To come all the way back, I swear it's a Michigan thing coming it back from behind in like the fourth quarter, <laughs> um, in any sport or third period uh, or something like that. But just you know, Cook. Cook broke all of Cousins' records. He proved that he was the guy because during, you know, the Buffalo Wild Wings Bowl in 2012, this is going way back, 
it you know it was Maxwell's team for that season, but once Cook stepped in, that entire coaching staff was you know D'Antonio made the D'Antonio made the decision, and that rest is history. You can't make that stuff up. I mean, Cook is you look Michigan State football. Cook is, in my opinion, the best quarterback they've ever played for Michigan State. Cousins is right behind him because Cousins helped build that foundation for what was to come, winning the first, um, you know, they were co-Big Ten champions in 2010. They went to the first ever Big Ten championship game against Russell Wilson. True. Against Russell Wilson's Badgers for the second time that year. The first time they won off of that, off of Rocket. That Hail Mary at the end of the game caught by Keith Nickel, who was also a former who was a former quarterback at the time, along with him and Nick Fo- him and Nick Foles, surprisingly, was a Spartan at one point. Um, but it's magic close with Cook and Abdicator, because Ab or Ab Isolator was a dominant force in Michigan State hockey for for yeah, how many years he was there? Two, three, or four? Yeah, I don't know. Definitely. How, you know, you obviously know because once he got to Detroit, yeah, he is. It was just boom. Yeah, <laughs> he he became a big presence in Detroit too, and that's and his credit was already established because he was a Spartan. Yeah, yeah. Once I think in Detroit, if you are even if you're a Wolverine, like. If you come from one of those Michigan, Michigan State, if you come from one of those schools, you're gonna be loved. Like even if you're a Michigan State fan and you come from Michigan, you're, you're gonna like gonna, Larkin. You're gonna exactly and like Sean, you're the Michigan Michigan guy. You know, even though Abdicator came from Michigan State, you still you still I like, love Abdicator. Exactly, it's the hometown type of yeah. thing. And so when you think stuff like that, because maybe because maybe in two weeks we'll get to Michigan. I don't know. I may be thinking of that question. So maybe, so maybe, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. Depend depends on what happens. So, and that is going to do it for this installment of unsportsmanlike conduct. I want to thank Megan Youngblood again. Still one of the best names. (laughs) I don't think you're ever going to get used to that, Aaron. (laughs) Youngblood, I hmm. Because the only young blood that I think of person is Jack Youngblood, because he was a, such a dominant player for the Rams back th- back in the day. Because <laughs> um, that's just a dominant last name to have. And Sean Chase, Sean Chase, of course, always good to have you on. Yeah. And I'm your host, Aaron Gemmel. We will be back in two weeks. We have a nice break coming up. Nice little fall break that I think is very well deserved and we needed. Agreed. Um and. The next time I'll be doing this show, I'll be an official adult because I'll be 21 because I turned 21 over this long, long break. So, um, but it's for for Sean, for Sean Chase, Megan Youngblood. I'm your host, Aaron Gamble. Thank you for listening in, and we'll catch you in the next installment of Unsportsmanlike Conduct. And as always, keep it fresh.